Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. My name is George Shikarello Mar. I'm a writer and organizer based in Philadelphia and a visiting scholar at the Hemispheric Institute for Performance and Politics. We're talking about Occupy ICE, which is, has sprung up in quite a few cities now. I don't know. Do you happen to know how many different places have an occupation or have had one? I mean, I've seen different numbers, but well over half a dozen um, over the past couple of weeks have seen these sporadic occupations, of course, some being evicted, some being more uh, sustained in the long term, um, and all have uh, you know, been subject to very different strategies for repression by local and federal authorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the one you've been involved in, which is in Philadelphia. Um, Philadelphia uh, began an occupation, uh, you know, just a week ago, honestly, outside an ICE facility in downtown Philadelphia um, and set mm-hmm. up an encampment that very quickly blocked access by ICE fans to a building. Um, very quickly, or relatively quickly, I should say, this was pushed out by um, federal uh, by federal uh, law enforcement in association with, and really the foot power was uh, Philadelphia police, um, mm-hmm. you know, pushing uh, the, the encampment beyond the doors. Um, to, yeah. to create access to the building. Now, I think people in Philadelphia yeah. were hoping for something like what happened in Portland, where local authorities were really unwilling to go along and be the shock troops of, uh, you know, ICE. Um, but yeah. in Philadelphia, this, despite the claims of being a sanctuary city and the sort of uh, attempts to cultivate progressive credentials by Mayor Jim Kenney, what you've seen actually is very much uh, a willingness to participate with uh, with those federal enforcement agencies. Yeah, so I want to unpack that a little bit. First of all, for people who aren't familiar with the terminology, sanctuary city has a very specific sort of political meaning, but also a broader meaning of being a safe place for immigrants, right? So can you talk about the sort of specific policy connections that have gone into calling someplace a sanctuary city? Now, of course, you know, the category of sanctuary city has been very, uh, you know, debated and fraught over the past uh, over the past year, in particular with Trump attempting to yeah. figure out different ways to punish sanctuary cities, to withdraw funding. I know some of that has been, you know, uh, has been pushed this month. That's a pushback in the courts on that. Um, right. But um, in Philadelphia, what you've actually seen is the word sanctuary city being used by, again, a slightly progressively branded uh, mayor. Um, but you've seen, in reality, just simply a delay of what would I think be the key policy mechanism, which is a decision right. on whether or not Philadelphia police will participate in information sharing with ICE. Um, this is called right. PARS, the PARS agreement, which would pass uh, arrest information directly to federal officials, allowing um, for ICE to then sweep in and, and detain and potentially deport right. people. Um, this is something that the mayor has not come out and said he is opposed to. What he's done is to delay this decision. And so you had just just the other day, a meeting by an excellent organization locally called Juntos with the mayor, uh, pressuring right. him to, among other things, uh, refuse to share that information with ICE officials. Um, and yeah. in addition to that, a longstanding campaign to close down the Berks County Detention Center, which is a, an immigrant detention center. Right. Right. So the meeting with him came about after the Philadelphia police were involved in evicting the occupation, Right. Absolutely. And what happened is that so after Philadelphia police pushed the occupation beyond 
the, the gates of the ICE building, uh, then attempted to push them further, uh, what you had was a, a completely unannounced uh, intervention by the police, again, to fully evict. Um, and, uh, you know, people had been kind of bending over backwards, I think, too, uh, you know, too far to, to play between them what they wanted. Um, and I think, you know, my argument consistently they're still going to evict you when the time comes, which is exactly what you think. Um, and so the camp right. was fully evicted by Philadelphia police. Um, and this looks terrible for a progressive mayor, or a so-called progressive right. mayor, I should say. Um, we're not talking about a very progressive mayor. We're talking about someone who uses a progressive narrative. And so, um, right. But regardless of this, uh, the headlines were not good for Jim Kenney. They looked bad. Right. They looked like uh, here he was not only doing the work of federal officials, but doing the work of Trump, right? This is really Trump's right. work. And so for a leftish progress, not a leftist, but a progressive Democrat to be doing the work of Trump, of course, looks very bad. Um, the encampment then moved to City Hall, uh, where the mayor promptly said he had no plans to evict them. Um, and this was only possible, of course, because of the pressure, the public pressure brought by the occupation, uh, the insistence on staying, um, but then also the, the bad press that came about, uh, you know, as a result of the repression of that. And this is something that we see pretty consistently um, in, in occupations going back to Occupy. Right. Yeah, so I did want to go back to Occupy because we are seeing, of course, the resurgence of this tactic in this case with a very specific demand to abolish ICE. And what's changed in these cities in a lot of cases, I know in Philadelphia as well as where I live in New York, is that you have mayors who came in sort of taking movement demands and, and claiming to be more progressive than the people who were in charge when the occupying campus were evicted. I'm thinking of, you know, Michael Bloomberg was the mayor of New York City when Occupy was in. But the Occupy ICE encampments are not getting that much nicer treatment from, you know, mayors who are supposedly more receptive to movement demands. Absolutely. You saw that, and you saw something similar during Occupy in the sense that Democratic governments in Philadelphia, Atlanta, uh, Oakland, um, were repressed in the same way, were evicted, um, despite the, the attempts by those Democratic mayors to spin um, you know, to spin what, what it was that they were doing. Um, what you right. have seen, I think that's right, is a slightly more progressive brand of Democrats. So in Philadelphia, you have right. Jim Kenney instead of Michael Nutter. Um, right. And, and you have, uh, at the very least, some kind of reliance on uh, some kind of progressive claims, right? You know, Jim Kenney right. has got some slightly progressive claims when it comes to mass incarceration and policing. Uh, we haven't right. seen much in practice. We haven't seen much change in practice. Um, right. we, have, we have seen a progressive district attorney, which has made a lot more difference. You know, mm -hmm. those who were just arrested at the uh, Occupy ICE protests were given small citations and released within an hour. This is kind yeah. of unprecedented. Um, and so this yeah. matters. Um, but, you know, this, this question of who the mayor is um, has definitely allowed those occupations to leverage the claims being made by these, uh, you know, progressive Democrats, um, even if right. it hasn't, you know, resulted in much in practice. Right, right. It's been interesting. Um, and so moving forward, right, people are still planning nationwide mobilizations around the, you know, family separation. But the abolish ICE demand has really taken off in the last few weeks. It has gone from being a demand of a few fairly far left immigration organizations to a demand that we're seeing everywhere and that politicians are now sort of signing on to. Um, so I'm wondering about your thoughts about sort of the growth of this as a demand and then how folks are moving on it. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think we're used to abolitionist language uh, seeming really extreme 
or long term or pie in the sky. Um, and yet we have seen this take, uh, you know, this, this claim take root and spread partly because of the, the, the real brutality of what ICE is doing and the transparency of what's going yeah. on. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that, you know, one of the first things I think we should do as analysts, but also as movement organizers is to historicize, to think about the fact that, you know, ICE is not that old, right? ICE is a new institution. ICE has not been yeah. around very long. Abolishing it really should not be that difficult, you know? Um, and that, I think, uh, points both toward the potential and the possibility of this claim to actually come about. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's why you see many Democrats, or some Democrats at least, uh, you know, talking about the abolition of ICE. Um, but it also yeah. points toward the dangers, because this is, you know, so we're in a strange situation where you're talking about abolishing something, but it's really just a, an intermediate demand, because the last right. thing we want is to see ICE be simply replaced by INS, by uh, Border Patrol doing the same exact work, or going back right. to an old status quo, which is not good enough uh, for us. Right. So I think we need to be very careful to tether the demand to abolish ICE uh, to the demand to not replace it. Uh, you know, right. this is what the Democrats are actually a lot of them insisting on. We'll find a better replacement. No, we don't want any replacement for this. Um, we want to roll back the powers that have been granted even to Border Patrol in, in, the, in recent decades and the dramatic right. expansion of that agency and the dramatic expansion of its budget and expansion of its, you know, its sort of ground force on the border. Um, and we want a radical transformation ultimately that points toward border abolition by the end. Right. Right. And, and, one of the things that's come back up to, to sort of link back around to this question of sanctuary cities and the question of local police cooperation with ICE, the, the argument that is used against things like police and prison abolition is often that it's unrealistic, that you can't do this, and that sort of regular people won't relate to this. And I, it's interesting to see the way that this demand is challenging that whole idea. Yes, absolutely. Um, if anything, it's too easy to abolish ICE. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't mean that to be a glib. You know, the, the struggle is actually going to be a very hard one. But again, we don't want to get caught up in, in acting as, that's, as if that's our ultimate goal. Then we get trapped in, in the mere replacement with something with something else. Uh, but I think what we can do and what we need to do is to constantly uh, present this uh, insistence and this argument that, um, that this is a new agency. It didn't need to exist when it was created um, after September 11th. It doesn't need to exist now. Um, and we need to, uh, you know, and we need to abolish it on the way to building, uh, you know, a different kind of world, on the way to other kinds of abolition. And here I actually think that what's crucial as well is to, uh, you know, to resist on the one hand the separation of black and brown and immigrant struggles from each other um, and to actually insist that what we're seeing in policing on the one hand and ICE and migration and border patrol on the other um, are very similar phenomena and that the abolitionist claim should actually be very much understood uh, in similar ways for both. We want to abolish the police because we want a very different kind of society. And we want to begin to imagine that society through the process of fighting for abolition. You know, we're not going to get abolition right away, but insofar as we push back the power of the police, the power of Border Patrol and ICE, we begin to imagine, I think, a very different kind of world. So how can people keep up with you and uh, how can people keep up with the uh, occupation of ICE in Philadelphia? Uh, there's a lot of information on Twitter uh, about uh, the, the ICE occupation in Philadelphia, no ICE, PHL. Um, you can follow, please follow Juntos um, on Twitter. Um, and also be aware that, you know, what, ha- what what is said on Twitter is not always true when it comes to what's going on on the ground. So come out to the occupation, see them. You know, a lot of the drama maybe you, you hear about is a little overblown. Um, and people on the ground are really just working to, to build and to continue this, uh, this occupation uh, and to press these demands moving forward. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. 
You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.